the unofficial Bengals podcast. Welcome to the unofficial Bengals podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. All right, so in this episode, we're going to go over some Bengal headlines. Tom McLevy's going to stop in for another McLevy minute. Sands is going to come in and talk about the defense this time. And we have another special guest, courtesy of the ZDN Network, fantasy football expert Doug Moore. I'd like to thank our sponsor, at Bengals Highlights on Instagram. Great highlights, great music, definitely something you guys got to check out. The unofficial Bengals podcast is brought to you by the Zedia Network. Bengals headlines. All right, the first main headline of the week is the Trey Waynes injury. Our first real blow to the starting lineup. I mean, this is pretty major. We, we signed him to a fairly big contract. We were hoping that he could nail down that corner spot for the whole season for us, you know, in place of Drake Kirkpatrick. And uh, it appears now he's going to be missing a few weeks. They're saying about eight weeks, which I estimated would be about four to five games. Now, that's going to give us a little bit of trouble. I'm not sure exactly who's going to fill in in his place. There's a couple different avenues they can go. Darius Phillips would be the obvious choice. I think he's the next man up for the job. He didn't have a ton of snaps last year, but we all know he had those four interceptions. Probably going to get the first look at starting in place of Waynes. Now, they could also go by committee and see how the, all the other guys work out. You know, you got your Mabin, uh, Tony Brown, LaShawn Sims, uh, Winston Rose. It could be one of those guys stepping up into the position. But again, the strength of their corners is more in the slot, unfortunately. It doesn't seem like we have really a shutdown outside guy aside from Will Jacks. So the other option is to throw Mackenzie Alexander out there. But the thing that I don't like about that is when there's an injury and you take a starter from another position and move him to the injured player's position, now you have two people playing out of position. You know, you have the missing starter, and now you supplanted your slot corner and put him on the outside. Now there's two guys missing from their natural starting position. So I almost think keep Mackenzie Alexander inside, and let's see if Darius Phillips wins the job or if he's going to battle it out with one of the other guys. Now when you look at the first... Let's go eight games. I, I, I know we say eight weeks with training camp. He's going to miss about four to five games. But let's say it, it lingers on a little bit longer than that. In the first eight games, there's really only three teams that have dominant, dominant receivers that are going to be a major problem. Not to say all these other teams don't have guys that can get the job done and exploit a weak corner. I'm not saying that these other teams won't be able to do that. But the teams that worry me are week one chargers with Keenan Allen and Mike Williams. That's going to be a problem. You need two good corners to cover them. And then the Browns in Week 2 and in Week 7, you know, we know the cast of characters there, especially Landry and Beckham Jr. So those are going to be the games. You're looking at three games with elite wide receivers in those first eight. And the other games could be trouble as well. It's just a matter of getting the replacement guy up to speed. Now they could sign another corner, and there's a couple guys out there that have been tossed around. I'm not sure that they're going to do that just yet. I was talking to Tom McLevy about this the other day, and he was saying, you know, watch out for him to miss the whole season because those pectoral injuries, they're very easy to re-injure. So let's cross our fingers and hope that he just misses a handful of games. But let's also keep in the back of our minds that this could linger and we could have a glaring need at that position for a while. All right, the next headline involves the defensive line. So they signed Mike Daniels for a one-year, $2.7 million contract. I think that's a great deal. I think that's a great price. 
I like everything I've seen from him so far in his press conference and his social media. Seems like a real upbeat guy. Seems like he's healthy. Everyone's excited to get him into that rotation, including Geno Atkins. So we may be onto something here. We might have ourselves a guy that's not just a, a stopgap, but someone who's going to really contribute. Now, some house cleaning stuff. After they signed Daniels, they needed to make room, and it would make sense to waive the last defensive tackle in, on the depth chart, and that was Tyler Clark. So, unfortunately, he's not with the Bengals anymore. I wish him luck in his career. And then two other defensive line moves during the week. They signed Amani Bledsoe from the Titans. He was on their practice squad all last year. And they signed a guy named Bryce Sterk from the Dolphins, and he was an undrafted rookie. I guess they had their eye on both of these guys. For them to see that these guys were waived and immediately pick them up, they were probably guys that the Bengals were going to sign as undrafted free agents at some point and never got a chance to. They saw that these guys were available, so they picked them up. Now, we're all saying, why do they grab two defensive ends? They, you know, they already have a bunch. But if you look at the depth chart, they have the four main defensive ends. The last two defensive ends on the roster are Futrell and Khalid Kareem. Now, we all know Futrell has the COVID positive test, and Khalid Kareem is on the pup list. So it makes sense that they brought in two defensive ends. I think they're going to supplant those guys in the short term. So that way, right now they have six defensive tackles in camp. So adding these two new guys would make six defensive ends. So I think that's the key number that they want to go in with now at both of those positions and let everything sort itself out from there. And that's not to say that Futrell or Kareem aren't going to make the squad, but they have the availability right now to sign a couple extra players with those two guys down. So they figured they would get a look at two defensive ends that they probably had their eye on for a while. Okay, let's move on to the next major headline, and this is a big one. John Ross, again, the unfortunate luck hits this guy. He was having a great camp. They said he was looking better than ever and more fit than ever when he came in. It's a contract year for him. You have Burrow in there now who can hit those those long routes. So we're all thinking that Ross is going to have a big year this year. And that's still very likely. It's just he's going to miss a couple weeks with taking care of his son. So you figure he needs about two weeks for his son to heal and maybe another week or two of quarantine for himself. So we could be looking at two to four weeks before he's back. You know, it's when you heard the news, it's like, oh, Ross, again, come on. But when you think about this, I mean, he's going to care for his kid. That's a really noble thing. So I don't begrudge him anything. He's putting his family first, and I respect him a lot for that. So I wish good health for him for his family. And then when he comes back, there's nothing wrong with his legs. So when he comes back, he's going to be running those routes that we want him to run. And hopefully he has a really productive season. Now, a couple other things regarding the wide receivers. We have T. Higgins who tweaked a hamstring. And that's unfortunate too, because I wanted him to get as much work as possible leading into the season. We all know it's tough for a rookie wide receiver to start off the season banging and you know and, and playing really great. It takes a little while for those guys to get adjusted. So that's why we need to temper our expectations on Higgins. Highly touted pick, even a fully healthy Higgins, it might take a year or two for him to be a dominant player. And the fact that he tweaked his hamstring, you know, it's obviously means that he's trying real hard right now. They've been pretty vague on the details of this, so I don't really know how severe it is. They say it's mild. That is a little bit of a warning for us not to just immediately plug him in as the three receiver and thinking that we have a pro bowler right there. Yeah, down the road, I firmly believe that. But again, these rookie receivers, you got to give them a little bit of time. we got some other veteran receivers on the roster that may be a little more equipped to do well this year. And then we'll ease in Higgins. So we'll see what his role is and how fast he comes along from that injury. 
But I think both the Ross and the Higgins injuries and absences are going to open the door for Alex Erickson. Always been a big Alex Erickson fan. It's just a guy, you put the ball in his hands, he's reliable, and he does things with it all the time. And he had over 500 receiving yards last year. I know he had the one big game at Jacksonville with like 137 yards. But still, he had over 500 yards in a backup receiver role on a struggling team with a struggling offensive line. That's a successful season for me. Uh, And as far as where they have him, you think that he's more of a slot player. But when I checked the numbers, he played 400 snaps out wide, approximately, and 200 in the slot position, and two in the backfield. So that was his breakdown of offensive plays. I guess they're viewing him as more of an outside guy. But either way, with Ross and Higgins out, expect Erickson to get a lot more touches. And he's another guy. He kind of fits into that Bengals narrative. He never really gets the credit he deserves. I always said that if he was on the Patriots, he would be a household name. So hopefully this year he gets more action, more exposure, and everyone realizes that he's a great receiver. But even when Tyler Boyd was mentioning their wide receivers and how excited he was for the group, he didn't even mention Erickson in that. I know it was probably an oversight, but that just shows you that everybody's overlooking this guy, and I think he's a quality player, and the more touches that he gets, the more that people are going to realize that he's a quality player. All right, other general pieces of news from training camp. Everyone's saying that Jonah Williams is looking real good. He transforms his body a little bit. He's serious. He's playing well, and everyone's saying that Burrow's looking good. He's throwing the ball well. He has confidence. He has knowledge of the playbook. He has command of the huddle. So those are two good things. We're going to be keeping our eye on that, of course, as the whole training camp proceeds, because those two guys are going to be very, very essential to our success this year. We all know that. So the pads are coming on Tuesday. So by the time this podcast comes out, the Bengals will have had their first padded practice, and they're actually having a scrimmage this Friday. So this week is going to be an exciting week. It's going to tell us a lot. We're going to see how some of these younger players react with the pads on. You know, you can start measuring people's tackling ability, at least in the scrimmage, and the offensive and defensive lines, you can really start evaluating strength and, and moves and, and how effective they are. It's going to let us know what we have with these guys. Some players, it's going to be like, wow, this guy's really good. We have potential here. i, I surprised at his strength. And some guys, it might lead to them getting waived. Like, oh, wow, you know, he, he was good in shorts, but, you know, when you threw on the pads, he wasn't as effective as an NFL player needs to be. So either way, that's what's going on. This is going to be a big week for evaluation. I'm looking forward to it. Another interesting thing from training camp, during the special teams drills, they were having other coaches sitting in on special teams to get a feel for some of the positional groups out there. And I think that's a preventative measure in case something were to happen to Darren Simmons this year. They need a couple guys that know what they're doing and can get people lined up on special teams. So we're going to see that this year with a lot of the NFL coaches, players. It's going to be getting people ready to play alternate positions or alternate roles in case something happens to the the guy that's sitting in that seat. So I commend the Bengals for thinking ahead on that situation and kind of being prepared for anything. Because the way staff and upper management have been working this season, it just seems like they don't want anything to get in their way of a successful season. Another main headline is the Rennell Wren injury. I actually just found out about it that he got hurt and he had to be carted off the field, so we don't know the extent of that. And again, we have this pretty good-looking rotation at defensive tackle, but we're going to need somebody at the nose position. So in in lieu of this information that I just found out, it looks like we're going to need to sign a pure nose tackle as well if Wren is going to miss any substantial time. It's unfortunate for him because I was looking at this year to be a breakout season for him. And the last headline for today, 
are the transformations that a couple Bengals have taken on. Everyone's saying that Billy Price is up to 330 pounds right now. I didn't know that when I interviewed him last week. He was pretty humble about it. We did talk about grilling, so maybe that attributed to some of the weight gain. The coaches said they wanted to have some big, powerful guards. So what does Billy Price do? He says, hey, I'm going to get a little bit bigger and a little more powerful. As long as he keeps the same level of mobility, he could be headed for a big season. And the other transformation is linebacker Jordan Evans. I talked about this a couple months back because I saw a picture of him on Instagram and he looked jacked up. But he's realizing, you know, they brought in, what, four, five linebackers, six linebackers this year. And even last year when they struggled, Evans saw very little playing time, even though, you know, Vigil was having a rough year and, you know, Preston Brown was a disaster early. We all know that. So it looks like he's taking the memo and saying, hey, you know, this is my career. This might be my last chance to really make something of myself in the NFL. So he transformed his body. We know he already has speed. Hopefully he plays fast, plays smart, and he becomes a linebacker that stays on the roster. You know, he's been with us for a couple years. And with this transformation, you see his dedication to the game of football. So we'll see what happens with both of those guys. McLevy Minute. All right, we're here with Tom McLevy. Tom, how are you today? Good, Frankie. How you doing, pal? Hey, hey, I just got to mention that. What a great interview you had last week with Billy Price. Very informative. Yeah, thank you, Tom. I had a good time talking to him. He was a really cool guy. And, you know, we talked about everything. We talked about the inside football stuff and, you know, some random stuff, too. Yes, yeah, he gave you some good time and good informative information. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to talking to him again and probably some other Bengals in the near future as well. Sounds great. All right, Tom, we're going to introduce a new segment to the McLevy Minute. I know we have Bengals Word Association. I'm going to ask you some random Bengal questions, and I just want some answers, some quick answers on what you think on these topics. Perfect. Sounds good. I didn't give Tom the questions ahead of time, so I'm just going to totally blindside him with some stuff, and we're just going to get his natural reaction to these questions. So with that said, here we go. Question one. Tom, Zach Taylor, head coach and calling offensive plays. What are your thoughts on that? Don't like it at all because of the fact there is too much involved in running a team. You have to separate. You have to see what's on the sideline. You have to go to the defense coaches you have to speak to them during a game and to concentrate on the offense a bird's eye view is always great to have and where somebody else is calling the plays can review tape on what's working what's not working but when you're the head coach it's so so important to get the feeling of the whole team as a whole It's a bad remedy. There's very few that can do it, can do it now, and in past history could do it. It's a bad idea. Tom, I agree with that. Okay, next question. What are your predictions for John Ross this year? Well, it's more of a hope. I'm hoping he pans out. I'm hoping, I mean, the wide receiver position is so deep. You know, the, the number of passes are going to be low, of course, due to the fact that they got A.J. Green, Tyler Boyd. They are already two established guys. Listen, I would love to see 
touchdowns out of the guy. I would love to see him on kickoff returns. Get the ball in the guy's hands any way you can. Put him on a kickoff return, the punt returns. He did that in college. That was the beauty of him at University of Washington. How many kickoff returns did he run back? How many punt returns did he run back? Just having him out there as a decoy, a fake reverse, or an actual reverse, to get him the ball, to get the the view of him maybe getting the ball, is a big decoy for the, the opposing defense. You know, you have Erickson and you have Brandon Wilson. Throw him out there in the backfield. The opposing team's punt coverage, kickoff coverage, sees him out there with Erickson or Brandon Wilson. Keep him on their toes to realize that, hey, he might get the ball. Just a good ploy to have a guy like that with speed to go along with the other guys that they have. Great concept, Tom. I, I definitely agree with that. Like I said, using him as a decoy, throwing him out there as a second option like that, it could definitely confuse other teams. But also give him the ball, too, once in a while. Put it on tape that, yeah, he does get the ball. Well put. Okay, next question. How do they protect Joe Burrow if the offensive line doesn't live up to the expectations? Say Jonah Williams has a little bit of an off year or growing pains year. Say the rest of the guys are, you know, semi-mediocre. You know, how, how are they going to protect him from getting destroyed and, like, losing confidence, maybe even getting hurt? Two words, Joe Mixon. One of, if not the best running back in the AFC. He's going to get touches galore, either by handoff or flat passes out of the backfield. That's why Duke Tobin and Coach Taylor are pushing for him to get the Bengals to sign an extension And it goes with what we talked about with the Ross effect. Just having him out there puts the linebackers on their toe. They got to pay attention to to Mixon because he's going to get the ball in a lot of different ways. So first and foremost, Joe Mixon's going to have a big impact on the offensive line success. Also, the, the quick step get it out of your hands. Joe Burrow is one of his strong attributes is he gets the ball out quick. Um, And that's going to be key until at least the offensive line gets comfortable because, like we said, there's no preseason games. They're getting thrown into the fire right away. He's going up against Bosa and Miles Garrett right away first two weeks so he's gonna have his hands full john williams gets comfortable the offensive linemen get comfortable with joe burrow behind them expect mixing to get a lot of touches and that quick release out of joe burrow and that should help the offensive linemen greatly way to handle these questions excellent takes as always no problem frank anytime pal X's and O's with Sans. All right, we're here with Sans. Sans, how are you today? I'm good. How are you? All right, man. So let's get down to business. Last year, I thought the Bengals were coming in as a 4-3 defense. But then when you analyze their scheme, it seems like they ran a 3-4 most of the time. 
Yeah, so our base defense, which is when we have a seven-man front like that, we hardly ran a 4-3 at all. But coming into it with Marvin Lewis and all of our defensive coordinators from Zimmer to Paul Gunther, we were always running a 4-3. I can see how everybody still thinks we run a 4-3. And even in our nickel, we have four down linemen and two linebackers. But in our uh, base defense, a 3-4 was more commonly used or a 5-2 type look. Because we kept our same 4-3 defensive ends, which are pretty interchangeable 3-4 outside linebackers. So Dunlap, Lawson, and Hubbard, they were playing either outside linebacker or defensive end. It's really just an edge position. And then for base, when we wanted to match with 21 or 12 personnel, we came out with uh, three in- interior, which would be a one nose who was probably playing a one tech. That was usually Billings and then Atkins and sometimes Tupo. And on passing downs, we would move Hubbard inside a lot too. We were more of a 3-4 under Anarumo for a base, which is three down linemen, two outside linebackers or defensive end edge type, and then two real off-ball linebackers is the real difference. So, Sanzer, you think with this personnel they're going to do the same thing this season? Yeah, I do think that. A big reason we wanted to use it last year, I feel, is because our linebacker depth and talent was kind of lacking. So in a 3-4, we only have two off-ball linebackers. In a 4-3, we'd require three of them. And that seemed to be like a lot of what we did on defense. And what could have hurt us was trying to hide our linebackers because Vigil and Preston Brown really weren't wowing anybody. So using an extra man on the line would help a lot, Would help hide them a little bit. We have Logan Wilson, Akeem Davis-Gaither, Jermaine Pratt, and Josh Bynes now. So we might do a little bit of a multiple type look the Patriots run that a little bit that they two gap more which is when you are going to play head on head up with somebody and be able to cover two gaps at once rather than almost every other team in the league one gaps which will be us but they kind of do that a little bit where they come out in different looks so we might have a 4-3 and a 3-4 type look for next year in a more equal area just because we drafted all those linebackers we need to get them some playing time wow makes total sense so, Sands, the other day we were talking about Hubbard and Lawson, how when they reached the end of this contract, you had your thoughts on how the Bengals could retain one, two, both, neither. Can you expand on that? Yeah, sure. I definitely think they should retain at least one. They're both young. They're talented. I think it's interesting to find out. I think this year is, um, I think a lot of it's going to depend on Lawson's health, too. I think we'll only have the money for one with us paying Dunlap what, about 10 plus million dollars. And they're good players. They're going to command probably nine, 10 million themselves. So we can't have that much money tied up there when we just paid DJ Reader as well. So I think we're only going to keep one of the two. I think it'll be interesting to see who that'll be. So kind of a position battle over the entire year to see who we're going to throw our money at. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. I kind of just assumed they were both going to be in the long-term plans, but you do make a good point about budgeting for that. Now, from what I'm taking in, it seems like Sam Hubbard is a, a fan favorite because he's from Ohio State. You know, he's he just seems like a more marketable guy. I almost feel like they're going to give him the money regardless of who plays better this year. I kind of do think they're leaning towards him. And even more than just the marketability, it's also his health. I, has he ever missed a game? Lawson's missed probably like two years worth of games. And I love Lawson. He's so talented. I would hate if he went somewhere like Pittsburgh and then he gets healthy and then he destroys us for years. So hopefully he goes to the NFC or something. 
if he leaves. I mean, I'd love to retain both. I just don't know how we do it money-wise. Sands, I'm totally with you on that, and I hear you. If he goes to Pittsburgh or Baltimore, it's going to drive me crazy. So, Sands, how do people find you on social media? They can find me at Bengals underscore Sands. All right. Well, it was good talking to you today, man. Great talking to you. I'd like to bring in a special guest, courtesy of the ZDN Network. This guy knows so much about fantasy football. If you guys plan on joining any leagues, you're going to get some valuable information from this guy. The unofficial Bengals podcast would like to welcome fantasy football expert, Doug Moore. All right, we're here with Doug Moore. Doug, how are you today? I'm good. How are you, Frank? All right, I appreciate you coming on. So let's get right down to business. I guess one of the main things on Bengal fans' mind as far as fantasy goes is, what's Joe Burrow's fantasy outlook? Where do you think he's going to be drafted? What kind of points is he going to put up this year? You know, what's your opinion on him in general? Yeah, I mean, Joe Burrow, obviously, you know, number one overall pick, number one QB taken, and he represents, you know, what should be a huge upgrade over what the Bengals fielded last year between Andy Dalton and Ryan Finley. So, you know, I think there's obviously a lot of high hopes um, after what he did last year with, uh, you know, with LSU. You know, but obviously, you know, it can depend. You know, you can have some, you know, rookies that have really good seasons, like Kyler Murray, for example, who did last year. Or you could have, like, a Lamar Jackson almost, who kind of, you know, it was okay in his rookie season, but then, you know, really took off in his sophomore season, which was where he was the MVP of last season. So it can really depend. You know, the biggest thing for me, I think, is going to be not the the playmakers, not the, you know, play caller or anything like that. My biggest concern is his offensive line. The Bengals don't necessarily field, you know, the best offensive line right now. I know that they've obviously made some investments over the past couple of years. I know that Jonah Williams, who was their first-round pick last year, didn't play at all. He's slated to play this year. So, you know, it's going to be interesting to see because um, I think that's going to be a huge part of it. He had everything at LSU. You know, he had two really good wide receivers with uh, Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase. You know, he had a terrific running game with Clyde uh, Edwards-Hilaire. You know, and obviously a great play caller, too, with, you know, Joe Brady and whatnot. So I think, you know, he, he's coming into a really good situation for a playmaker-wise because he's got A.J. Green, who hopefully should be healthy um, after missing all of last season, really. And then you have Tyler Boyd, who's been a very reliable slot receiver for them. They go and they draft T. Higgins, uh, you know, to be sort of their third wide receiver. They still have John Ross, who, you know, very speedy, first round pick a couple of years ago. A uh, guy you can sit on the outside and have him just run nine routes all day. But uh, And then you also have Joe Mixon, who, you know, you could say is probably a top five fantasy running back as well. So he's got a good playmaker group. Um, the offensive line is kind of where the weakest point of the Bengals, that's what sort of gets me the most nervous but you know i think he's you know i think he's in a situation where he could absolutely end up being you know a top 12 quarterback you know i i think he's going to be in a situation where he throws a lot he's always got the tools to be a successful qb in the nfl and obviously expectations are high and i think he can definitely be able to be the guy that Bengals fans sorely need um so i wouldn't be surprised if he gets you know you know if he finishes probably in the 10 to 12 range but it's more realistic that you're going to see him probably in that you know, 14 to 18 sort of range. So he's not a bad QB2 in one QB leagues to start have on your bench. I don't know if I go into my my fantasy season, you know, in my redraft leagues with him as my number one QB. Uh, you know, it's a 
tall task for a guy we haven't seen. And plus, it's working against him that they don't have preseason to, to sort of get some sort of game level, you know, experience than prior to the regular season. So I think he's a guy you probably target as a Q, high end QB two. Maybe if you get, maybe if you pick like a QB later on, you need another one just to sort of be able to stack up and, and sort of look at it from a week to week basis. I think that's sort of what Joe Burrow is, but wouldn't be surprised if he's a top twelve quarterback in fantasy. Now, Doug, you know, I think that a lot of Bengal fans are going to end up drafting him and maybe even a little higher than they should in fantasy leagues because, you know, he's our guy. Well, um, what percentage of fantasy leagues do you think he will be drafted in? You know, I, I think it comes down to, again, the, the you know, how the, the roster's uh, makeup is. You know, in a one QB league, you know, in a standard, say, 12-team league, you know, one QB, I would probably see him picked around 50 to 60% of the time. And the other thing, too, is, you know, the, now it's becoming more and more popular. You know, your two QB or your what we call super flex leagues where you can put a QB in as your flex player, basically. In those type of formats, I wouldn't be surprised if he's close to 100% owned because he's a guy, I think, that is a high upside QB, too, who could end up putting up QB1 numbers. So I think at the very least you're going to see him rostered in probably about half of, you know, half of regular-sized fantasy leagues. Wow, very interesting stuff. Um, you know, a follow-up question on this. What other Bengals do you feel are draftable this year? I know there's a handful, but maybe you can quickly run through them. And also I wanted to ask, is the Bengals' defense draftable this year? So if you could elaborate on those things. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, when you think of, of Bengals and, and fantasy, you know, the, the number one player, rightfully, that comes to mind is Joe Mixon. Um, as I mentioned, Mixon is a guy who kind of struggled last season a little bit, but picked up towards the end of last season. You know, and, and he's being picked, I think, you know, where he should be right now. You know, definitely at an RB1. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, he finishes in the top five. You know, there's there's a little ambiguity there where who could finish where. But, you know, Mixon is getting picked right in the first round right now. Towards towards the end of the first round, I think it's right around where he's getting picked. And he's got a huge upgrade in QB coming to him. Um, and, you know, the offensive line, I don't think getting any worse than what it was last year. So I, I think rightfully so. You know, he's in a spot where he should definitely be drafted in the first round as a, you know, top five, top seven running back. You know, Tyler Boyd, you know, was their most relevant wide receiver last year. Um, AJ Green obviously sat out last year. He had his uh, injury issues. And, and Tyler Boyd is, is a guy that you look at the Bengals as a whole, and I think it's very fair to say that all of them are going to you know, deserve to be upgraded a little bit and where they are because they're such a huge upgrade, ideally, and where QB is. And that's a huge thing. If you have a, a better QB throwing the ball to you, ideally you're going to play better and you're going to be able to put up better stats. So, you know, I think Tyler Boyd is still getting picked a little bit ahead of A.J. Green, which I agree with. Um, he's younger. He doesn't have the injury issues. Uh, he's playing on a decent contract. You know, they gave him an extension last year, uh, and he's been reliable. He's you know he's a guy that you can move around the field. AJ Green's uh, AJ Green's really a wild card, honestly. You know, he's still in his early thirties, so it's not like he's past his prime or anything like that. And you know, he's obviously had years where he's been a number one receiver, one of the best in the league, and has put up you know top receiving numbers for in terms of fantasy. But his injury concerns are a huge, a big thing. You know, he's missed a lot of games, including all of last season, basically because of injuries. So we don't know what to expect out of him, uh, and we've never really seen him under you know this sort of coaching regime, sort of. Uh, game planning and, and, and style of uh, offense, you know, as uh, you know, Zach Taylor is going through his second season now. Um, obviously a bright mind, but, you know, again, he hasn't had a chance to really work with him in game. So it'll be interesting to see 
I think you could make an argument for T. Higgins. You know, it's it's really tough to for a team to be able to field three fantasy relevant you know wide receivers, especially if they have a top end you know running back as well. But I think T. Higgins is in a spot where he could definitely be you know a late round flyer. Honestly, uh, I think he's a guy, especially if there is an injury like AJ Green, who has obviously you know, a huge injury history. Um, I think he'd be a guy that could step in if, if Green were to go down. Ross is a, you know, John Ross is a guy that I think he's more of a huge, huge ceiling or very low floor kind of guy. He's not a guy that you're going to throw, you know, 12 times to a game, I don't think, and he's going to get 10 receptions. I think he's a guy that's going to make some big plays. Uh, he's going to be set up that way. But how often he's used and how often it actually happens is a different story. So those are probably the guys I would say are are draftable, um, obviously alongside Joe Burrow. Let's move on. I just have a couple more quick questions for you. One is moving on to the AFC North. So we obviously know that they have the receivers up in Cleveland, you know, Landry and Beckham Jr., um, what about the other teams? What what guys would you target from the Steelers and Ravens at the wide receiver position? You know, the Steelers is going to hinge a lot on Big Ben's sort of recovery. Uh, you know, he obviously missed most of last season with an elbow injury to his throwing arm. So that's, that's a huge concern. Plus, he's getting up there in age. He's 38 years old. Prior to last season, he was still putting up terrific numbers. But coming off of a major elbow injury to his throwing arm, plus his age, it's fair to wonder what he still can do. But they look poised to be a, a very pass-heavy offense. And they've made some huge moves at the wide receiver position over the last couple of years. I think Juju Smith-Schuster comes to mind as their number one. You know, I, I think he's a guy that you can definitely look at in fantasy. He obviously had a, a very disappointing season last year between injury and obviously Big Ben's um, arm injury and them having to use a combination of Mason Rudolph or Duck Hodges. You know, depending on Big Ben's health and what he can do, I think Juju's in a really good bounce back spot. So he's definitely a guy I'm looking at. Deontay Johnson looks to be the better of the two going forward, I think, between him and uh, James Washington. They both, at times and in their own areas, did well and better than the other. But I think Deontay Johnson just brings a lot more to the table overall as a receiver. And I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up with the second most targets on this team. And then, you know, the Ravens, you know, it, it's interesting because obviously, you know, they they didn't throw the ball a lot, but they still put up a lot of uh, passing touchdowns with, as I mentioned before, Lamar Jackson, who had a terrific season and was a you know fantasy godsend for those who did draft him. I don't know if... You know, you're going to really see one guy stand out. Obviously, Marquise Brown and Lamar Jackson set the world on fire in the first two weeks last year where Marquise Brown had over 300 yards or close to it and a couple touchdowns or like three touchdowns in two games and then sort of fell flat a little bit. All reports seem to think that, you know, Marquise Brown is looking even more impressive. He dealt with that foot injury last year and was still coming off of that foot injury. So I think he's definitely the – I think he would view him as the number one. But then, you know, they've made some additions, you know, that sort of murky sort of what you would expect and what you think of the Ravens right receiving core. You know, they drafted Miles Boyk in the third round. Didn't do a whole lot, honestly. But then they go and they get Devin DuVernay this year from uh, Texas in the third round. You know, how does he fit in with everything? Who knows? And then you have James Proch, who was a fifth-round pick at SMU, who's more of a possession guy. I honestly... You know, besides Marquise Brown, I don't know if I would be drafting any other wide receiver uh, from the Ravens. It's just really so much of a toss-up that you just don't know. Interesting. Um, to move on to another topic, I was on your Twitter feed, and you, you mentioned a philosophy called, I believe it's called Zero Running Back? 
Yeah, so zero running back is, uh, you know, a fantasy concept that's picked up steam over the last few years. You know, the philosophy being, and, and numbers sort of back it up a little bit, that, you know, running backs in fantasy, they have a higher volatility than wide receivers do. Um, what I mean by that is, you know, whether it be a situation of injury, which they're at a higher risk for because they're just, they're dealing with a lot more physical contact than a wide receiver because they're handling the ball a lot more, ideally, as a bell cow, as they call it. It's hard to be consistent besides like the top, top tier running backs. What the idea is, is that, you know, you sort of punt, as they would say, or sort of not put a whole lot of focus on the running back position early on. And you focus on getting those wide receivers where you're going to get more consistent week to week sort of production in fantasy and then sort of addressing the, the running back position later on. You know, there's a couple different variations of that where, say, you draft somebody in the first round, like a Joe Mixon, for example, and then you don't draft another running back for like, six or seven rounds uh, and you focus on the wide receiver maybe tight end position basically it's it's targeting those running backs later on in the draft those ones that usually have high, high upside or what they would call handcuffs where that would be sort of like the backup that would sort of get the work if something were to happen with starter or even guys that are going to be sort of like in a, in a running back by committee sort of situation where you know they're fighting for snaps they have some value but if again you know they could end up getting more work as the season goes on if they do well it's really looking at those sort of running backs those high upside ones uh later on and sort of you know punting or or sort of leaving the running back system to later on focusing on the wide receiver part and then uh sort of just uh rolling rolling the dice a little bit with the running back role so that's, that's sort of what it breaks down to a little bit there's so many different types of variation I do believe that wide receivers are much more consistent and the numbers show it but I still think the running back position is is something you need to focus on a little bit uh, just because um, there's such a huge drop-off after the first 10 to 12, I think. Wow, the listeners are going to appreciate some of those philosophies. I'm sure it's going to help a lot of people. All right, last question. Just say I'm in a fantasy league. I end up with the first pick, and I came back, and I was like, hey, Doug, I just picked Mahomes with the first pick. Am I a smart man, or am I not a smart man? I would say if you're in a 2QB or a super flex league, absolutely. That's the That's probably the best pick you can make. In a, in, a, in a one QB league, I probably wouldn't. Obviously, you know, there's a lot of talk around quarterbacks are usually the highest scoring position in fantasy. Absolutely. That's typically the case. But the reason that people don't often make the argument for drafting a quarterback early on is because the standard deviation between, you know, the top QBs for the most part isn't that widespread. So what I mean by that is, you know, if you look at the QB5 and the QB6, there may only be like 15 points between them. Whereas, you know, the wide receiver five and the wide receiver six or the running back five and running back six is going to be probably a huge, you know, split in regards to how many point difference there is. Plus the other thing too is that QBs, I think, are just more consistent in their week-to-week performance. I think if you look at it, again, if you look at sort of the deviation between those QBs, it's not going to be as much as you would see from, you know, the, the deviation in the wide receiver running back position. So oftentimes that's why people sort of stray away from picking a QB early on. Obviously, you have those rare occasions where you have a situation like a Lamar Jackson, who not only is putting up terrific passing numbers, but he is doing a really good job at, you know, running the ball too, which is huge in fantasy, especially from a QB position. So obviously those are rare occasions. And don't get me wrong, Patrick Mahomes is absolutely deserving of a top two QB spot. 
But you, get, I think in that situation, you got to go with a running back or a wide receiver. Uh, probably running back, honestly. Um, now, obviously, you can make an argument for Barkley, but most people say McCaffrey. So I think depending on the league and, and the roster sort of set up in the starting lineup, if it's a super flex or a two QB league, absolutely. I think that's a pretty smart pick. Uh, but in a one QB league where, again, as I talked about, you know, you can sort of you know draft a QB later on and go for a higher upside QB2 on your bench like a Joe Burrow, I think it makes a lot more sense to wait on a QB, let somebody else take it, and that you go after you know those positions that are a little more volatile, like a running back or even a wide receiver. But in this case, probably running back between McCaffrey and Barkley. Doug, truly, truly amazing stuff. Very helpful to a lot of people, I can imagine. Um, how do people find you on social media? Yeah, so I'm on I'm on Twitter at uh, D Moore. So it's my first initial, my last name NFL. So D Moore NFL is where you can find me on Twitter. All right, thanks for coming on, man. Not a problem. Thanks for having me. All right, that'll do it for this episode. Next episode, we're going to have another guest, courtesy of the ZDA Network. Tom McLevy is going to stop in for another McLevy minute, and we're going to also welcome in Sands and Seb Talk Sports. I'd like to thank our sponsor at Bengals Highlights on Instagram. And I'd also like to give thanks to the ZDN Network for bringing in all these great guests and running a great network. They keep adding new shows, so go check them out on Twitter or Instagram, at ZDN Network. And Zedia is just like the word media, only with a Z. Thank you for listening to the Unofficial Bengals Podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. The Unofficial Bengals Podcast.